Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everybody. We are here today with a huge group, and we are doing something really special and different. We actually have an author, an editor, and an agent. Do you guys want to go in and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Carrie Gerizio. I'm the author of Brooding Why a Hero, Becoming a Main Character Almost as Awesome as Me. I'm Melissa Edwards. I'm Carrie's literary agent, and I work at Stonesong Literary. I'm Allison Weiss. I'm editorial director of Sky Pony Press, and I'm Carrie's editor. Great. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us. So, Carrie, why don't you tell us a little about your writing experiences until now? Did you always want to be a writer? I absolutely did always want to be a writer. Um, the first story I wrote was in first grade, and it was Carrie and Han Solo Save Christmas. So I've clearly been writing about brooding heroes since then. Um, on a more serious level, the first novel I had that I actively queried was the one I signed with Melissa with, and that was a YA contemporary. And when we were on sub for that, um, we started working on ideas for the brooding YA hero book, which that one did sell, and that became my debut novel. So how'd you come up with the idea for Broody? So Broody, as a Twitter account, was started while I was still querying agents. Um, I had a glass of wine on a Saturday night, and uh, it was a funny... It was like an inside joke with a couple other friends who were also querying, based on tropes that I saw over and over again. And I had no idea that it was going to become a viral Twitter account. Probably within about two weeks, I had over 5,000 followers and a BuzzFeed interview. So he kind of blossomed from there. But it took over a year from creation of the Twitter account to come up with an idea for even what a book might look like. And from then on, I think we had a couple back and forth discussions on what the shape of the book was actually going to be because none of us wanted it. Allison wasn't part of the discussion yet, but Melissa and I both didn't want it just to be a collection of tweets. I think that was what we were actively trying not to make it. Um, Melissa, why don't you talk a little about how you started thinking of this as something that was a book? When I signed out, when I signed Carrie as a client, I knew about this account and I thought it was so funny because obviously as a person who works in YA publishing, it really spoke to a lot of the tropes that we know and love in YA publishing. So it was particularly funny for those of us in the business. And I think there is this huge YA community that finds the account funny. And then given the success of social media-based books, it seemed like an obvious jump to go from a successful Twitter account that appeals to a book-reading community to an actual book. Melissa, what first appealed to you about the broody character? I mean, he's so funny and dashing and clever and wise and self-deprecating. So, and of course, handsome. The perfect man. Can't forget handsome. Um, So when signing Carrie as a writer, the fact that she was A, such a talented writer, and then also B, had this flourishing social media account made her 
an interesting client because she was saleable from a multitude of different angles. It's interesting that you hear about platform in the nonfiction, but it's it sounds like it really worked out here as well. It definitely, it, it makes her more marketing savvy. It makes her a more uh, well-rounded writer because she understands what's happening in the YA fiction community and then also understands um, YA fiction tropes and how to emphasize and also avoid them. I think her knowledge through Broody makes her a better writer and also makes her a now a better novelist because she has this uh, existing platform to sell her book. So Carrie um, has this online personality. What's she like over the phone? Over the phone, she's extremely business-minded and knows the industry extremely well. I think that is what initially I found exciting talking to her when I was signing her as a client in that first phone call was the realization that she has done her homework and she knows what she's looking for and what she expects in an agent and what she's going to expect in an editor. And it showed a, a true commitment to excellence, both on her own side and also uh, from the industry in general. I'm always so happy when writers have done their it's, research. It's definitely a plus. <laughs> and so rare. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, how did you know Melissa was the one? So going back to doing research, I was, you know, doing the querying thing. I traded it much like I traded, traded my school search for college. And it was a running joke among all of my friends that I looked at 113 colleges, applied to 75, and then made my parents drive me to 17 in-person visits. So I really like being thorough with my research. Wow. Um, and I had a list of qualities I was looking for in an agent, business-minded, um, excited, and capable of representing a couple different things within YA. Uh, like I mentioned, the, the YA when I was working on with Contemporary, but I also knew um, fantasy was the other place where my heart belonged. I think Melissa and I talked about Game of Thrones on that first phone call and that made me smile. And then we just clicked really well on the call and were excited about the same things. And she had a good vision for that book and for my career in general. I, I love it when you connect with someone, not just on your plans, but on the things you like and the things that make you excited. Yeah. And I do want to, um, just for anyone who might be listening to this, remind people that like I had a book that I was querying. I did not land an agent just because of Broody. Um, when Broody started, there were a lot of copycats that came out within a couple weeks and people were trying to get book deals because they had 2,000 followers and thought they were cool. And although that's very exciting when you get 2,000 followers, I do always want to remind people like the book is what's the most important thing. Broody wouldn't have sold to Allison if he didn't exist inside of a book as well as a Twitter account. Well, and he's so much more than just collected tweets. There's a there's a real spirit behind him and a spirit that kind of talks about things that are happening in the world and all the literary inside jokes and things. So you can really tell in reading your tweets that it comes from an authentic and interesting place, not a what do I need to do to get a deal place, if that makes sense. Yeah, most definitely. So let's switch over to the editor. So Allison, how did Melissa pitch this to you? I don't remember exactly... Melissa's pitch. Um, I do remember I was in a meeting and I came back to look at my email uh, and there was a message from her saying that uh, 
her client uh, was interested in, in doing Rudy the book, um, and there was a proposal, and would I be interested in taking a look? And I think that I wrote back within about two seconds, something like, hell yes. Um, <laughs> and then I distinctly remember Melissa coming back and saying, that's what I want to hear. Um, and as soon as uh, the, the proposal actually hit my box, I remember printing out the whole thing and starting to read it. I hadn't even probably gotten through five pages before I had raced into my uh, then boss's office and said, oh my God, I have the most amazing book and it has an amazing platform and we need to preempt this right now. <laughs> and I can't say that it actually happened quite like that, um, but I think the offer came together fairly quickly. Um, I agree. It definitely did. It definitely, definitely did. Um, my side of the, the fun offer story was I was actually speaking on social media at the Yelsa conference in Pittsburgh, which is for uh, youth services librarians. And I had kind of a bummer moment because although I was an agent writer um, and all my friends were the authors that were at the, at the book fair type event, um, there was a distinctive kind of bummer feeling. And I'm sure a lot of writers listening and maybe even agents might have felt this where you're with your peers, but you're separated from them because as I wasn't an author, I wasn't allowed to be behind the table where all the authors were at during the book fair. And I had to just be milling around, um, in the middle. And I remember being so bummed that first day that I couldn't be on the author side. And then Melissa emailed me that night and was like, we have an offer. And it was so cool the next night. Like I was out for drinks with a couple other people. Um, and I got to kind of whisper to them and be like, I'm going to be on the other side of the table next year. Um, (laughs) So that was that was a really wonderful um, moment, just being able to to kind of fully be able to claim that author title. So interesting, Carrie. I think that's how I found you. That's how I met you. I was milling around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I guess it's okay to be milling around because sometimes yeah, you get yeah, to meet that was cool a, people. Any SBWI, right? <laughs> Yeah, and milling around is definitely great as well. I don't want to ever discount milling around, but it was definitely (laughs) that kind of weird. They were just, I think the weirdest part was like two different doors open to go into this book fair. And I was standing and talking to all of the other authors and like, I could not go through the author door. They were like, no, this is for authors only. That is so sad. (laughs) No, you should not pass. (laughs) And like, it was all like the librarians and the book fans and everyone were going through the other side to get like the free autograph books and things. (laughs) And I mean, I went in with them, but it was very weird because the librarians that came to my panel were there because I was brooding why a hero, not because I was a librarian. So it was, it was also the conference I got kissed at. So I'm sorry, what? You don't ever kiss someone when you're out of an autograph. So I was speaking on behalf of social media, which is my master's, my master's degree is in digital media and marketing. And a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you're my internet boyfriend and proceeds to kiss me very loudly on my cheek and takes a selfie of us. Oh, ew. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. Which is usually why after that, I'm kind of always wondering, like, ask authors before you can hug them. We are people too. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, professionalism always. (laughs) <laughs> that is great. I, you know, I can't say that the same weird stuff doesn't happen to me once in a while. I agree. No touching. <laughs> no touching. Personal space bubble. Respect. <laughs> no germs. <laughs> if you could get me sick, you're too close. <laughs> um, so Carrie, when did you actually hear? Were you out with friends when you just checked your email and you're like, amazing. How did it go? So I was, 
I'm brushing my teeth. I think I actually emailed at the very end of the business day. I think it was a Friday um, because I don't think it, it gave me one way or another. And it was just like, call me tomorrow. And I was like, oh no. Um, and it was, it was good, not bad, but I remember distinctly like stopping brushing my teeth in the middle and just like staring at my phone as the email came in. Um, and then I was still at the conference the next day and it was actually really cool. I know you're not supposed to tell anyone when you have an offer, but we all know authors sometimes tell people things that they shouldn't. Um, and I did kind of whisper like that hypothetical and it worked out really well because there was another author at the table we were all getting drinks at who was with Sky Pony and they had some great stories of how wonderful and supportive the publishing house was. So right from that moment, like right from that first, you know, we're going to have an offer. I had reassurance that Allison was going to be the editor for me. Can I tell the story of when Melissa told me we had a deal? We had done some negotiating and I'm walking to yoga and it's about a 20 minute walk. So I'm looking at my phone because it's boring to walk you know, and just walk these days. Um, and I remember looking down at my phone and Melissa said, we have a deal. And I said, that's it. We're done. And she says, do you want me to push you harder? And I was like, no, no, no. I'm so excited. When can I trust Carrie? Um, should we explain for everyone what a preempt is? Sure. So obviously in vague terms, an editor, when an editor loves a book very, very much. It sounds like the way a baby gets made. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, when an editor and an author love a book very, very much. Hold <laughs> 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 well, on, I don't have an explicit rating. Um, okay, so let's say an agent puts out a closing notice telling the editors who are interested that um, she's looking to get offers and or at, at, by a certain date and time, um, an editor can pull the book off the table by making a preemptive offer that is big enough or strong enough that they're hoping will close the possibility of other offers and will close the negotiations for the book before the book goes to auction and kind of cut the other publishers off by the knees. Ooh, so violent. I can tell you watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the Cliff Notes version of a preamp. And then it's up to the agent and the author to decide if they are comfortable with that offer and willing to accept it without giving the other publishers time and the opportunity to offer as well. It's kind of the notion of do you take the money that's surely in your hand or do you risk getting something that might not be as good? That's truly an editorial perspective. Um, can you talk a little bit about the new stuff you added for the book? I assume there are illustrations, and and how did you guys sit down and think about it? Like, okay, here's where we are. Here's what we're gonna add. Yeah, I'll um I'll take this the the lead on this one. So the broody book was written on proposal, which for listeners that means in in layman's terms, we had two sample chapters and outline. Um, some background on it, some some facts on the platform. Um, books sold on proposal, Melissa obviously knows more about this than I do, um, are usually for nonfiction or books with an existing platform. Um, since you could look at Broody's tweets and get a good idea of what Broody is all about, uh, we were able to do that. Please don't try and query agents with YA books on proposal, or Melissa will like hunt me down. Um, anyways, so... I am an outliner. So that was the easy part was like, oh, I can follow along this outline. I've got these two chapter samples, but it was missing a certain sort of broodiness in it, so to speak. And I remember calling Allison and I was like, hey, Allison, I was like, I really want to add a narrative component where broody is actually a character rather than just the voice giving you the advice. So one of the biggest things with this is there is alternating 
uh, stories in the book. There is a third person um, self-referential omniscient viewpoint, which is really fun because it has things like I get to write the words like he questioned queryingly and no one can delete it because it's Brody's omniscient narrative. Um, <laughs> and then in between those chapters are the a second person where Brody is giving you the reader actual advice on how to become a main character. So that's all new material. Um, I pointed out, I had a book event last night and I pointed out there's actually only four tweets in the entire book. So this is not, you're not just getting like a collection of printed out tweets. And then we also have illustrations and activities and quizzes and things. And the illustrations are done by Linnea Gear, who was an artist I found on Tumblr a few years ago. And she was the one who designed the new Broody icon. And one of the things I loved about Allison was she came up with, she's like, we love that Broody. Let's see if we can get that illustrator to do the illustrations. And they are one of my absolute favorite parts of the book. That's so awesome that that happened because of Tumblr. Yeah. Linnea was a dream to work with. Yeah, because I know that often there's a question when you come to a publisher already having an illustrator in tow. Sometimes they're happy with that component and sometimes they're not. So I'm happy that worked out. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, when I approached Linnea, it was more of, um, so Broody used to have a random actor's face. And as he was getting big, I was like, I don't know enough about copyrights, but I'm pretty sure I don't have the copyright to that actor. Um, <laughs> so I reached out to Linnea and she drew four different character for, uh, faces and I had the fans vote and we picked the new broody face. And that was pretty much like, um, the end of the discussion with Linnea re broody. Um, there wasn't really anything else. I never mentioned there was going to be a book or anything like that. So she was a surprise. She was surprised too to get an email and be like, hi, this is going to be a book. Would you like to be the illustrator? And she is very talented. I do want to have a shout out. She has a web comic online called Descent, and it's a great free web comic. It features a sorcerer, sorcerer, and a cursed prince trying to save a kingdom. So, it's also on Tumblr. That's really cool. Um, also, I think it's really nice that you let your fans choose what they thought he looked like. That was that was a really um, fun one, and also kind of. That's how I knew Linnea, I think, had a really good finger on the pulse of what a broody is. There were four faces. Uh, I gave her directions. One was going to be kind of a jock type. One was my favorite, which is like jet black hair, vampire pale skin, and a leather jacket. <laughs> and then there was a, I think, it, I can't remember what the third one was, but he got like no votes. And then there was the fourth one. And the fourth one, I was like, hey, make up whatever you think the perfect why a brooding hero is. And that one won by like 70% of the votes. And that's the broody you see on the Twitter icon, as well as the broody on the cover. That was the one that Linnea drew from, from completely complete con creative control over that broody. That's really cool. And also like, you know how they always talk in picture books about how you shouldn't have too many notes for the illustrator because you want to give them that creative control. And that's proof that sometimes that's what works out. Exactly. And, and I know one of my favorite illustrations is the family tree one. And for people who haven't gotten a chance to buy the book yet, Broody goes through the characters on both sides of his family that make up who he is, including uh, the, Gat the great Gatsby and a pile of money on his father's side. And Linnea just <laughs> went above and beyond with having fun creating the different faces for those characters. So it sounds like you're doing this in a really fun, joyful way. Like, can you tell us a story of something that's been really fun to do as Broody? I think one of the best things is that I do not have to worry about I think authors struggle with self-promotion because it is that dangerous, like you don't want to say it's the best book ever. But when I'm tweeting from Broody's point of view, I can in fact be like, this book will make you swoon and your eyelashes curl and will like give you eternal life as a vampire. And no one can argue with him because he's brooding my hero and he thinks he's the best thing ever. 
Has any of that carried into your own life? Like, do you get to, you know, be able to put on that very happy, confident, uh, outgoing quality sometimes? <laughs> I think I think the funny thing is my real life friends who don't know me as a writer actually would probably describe me as a little bit over exuberant and loud and funny. Um, that's kind of always been who I was as a person. And I will say there was one time that no one last night because I, I dinner with my friends after my book launch and no one laughed at my jokes and I may have hypothetically said, "Well, forty five thousand people on the internet think I'm funny." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, okay, so just quickly to wrap up, um, Melissa and Allison, do you want to weigh in on how, I mean, platform seems like this big, scary thing, and this is proof it doesn't have to be. Are there any lessons in there for writers out there? You know, I'm going to take this slightly from the perspective of somebody who manages platforms too. Um, since I run, in addition to uh, my editorial hat, I run uh, Skyponies. Twitter account, and I run ran the Twitter account for my former publisher as well. Um, I think that the idea of platform can be kind of a really scary thing, especially from an author or for an author who is um, so, so focused on, on their book, and they and you shouldn't have to be building this other thing too that you know maybe you have no skill set in. And one of the the most important things I think. Uh, there's to remember is that first and foremost, when, when you're building that platform, it's about making connections with your followers. Um, and that comes from just being a real person. Part of what makes Broody's platform so great is that Carrie's managed to take this kind of bombastic figure. Um, but what Broody's talking about is still really hooked into the, the moment of uh, what's really going on in the world. And, and you know, the concerns that that people are, are talking about and facing. There's this sense of real a real person and real passion behind it. Um, and that connection takes you really far. I would say do what you are good at and what makes you feel comfortable when it comes to platform. I think what makes Brooding Why a Hero so successful and also Carrie's personal Twitter account so successful is she is funny and quick and clever. And that talent is apparent in the Twitter account, but if you're not the kind of person who can easily come up with bon mots and with funny and topical tweets, then maybe don't force yourself to do something that wouldn't be natural. Maybe you'd be more comfortable sharing on Facebook or setting up beautiful photos on Instagram. Do whatever makes you feel good and makes you feel comfortable because that authenticity and joy will be very apparent in what you're doing. Yeah, I I love that point because I actually even I mean I struggle a lot on Instagram. Like I my Instagram is not remotely something I really enjoy the way I enjoy Twitter. But there are other authors. Um, Zoraida Cordova, I think of it comes to mind where her her Instagram is just beautiful, and it's where she really shines. So I think it's it's important that it's not one size fits all for platform. And that's always more contagious. I, I totally agree. So Carrie, I know we're really excited that you are going to be filming a class with us. Can you talk about that? Yes, I am just as excited. So we're going to be discussing tropes as tools. And this is kind of what the heart of Brooding My Hero and the heart of the book is. Um, tropes aren't by themselves bad, most of them. There are some tropes I think that are entirely bad and we should not use them. But 
tropes can are just the building blocks. If you get 18 building blocks and all you ever do is build one tower that's 18 building blocks high, it's going to be a very boring experience. But even as a kid, you learn like, oh, I could build a pyramid with these blocks. I could build a U-shape with these blocks. I could throw these blocks at my brother's head when he steals one of them. So you have an ability as an author and as a writer, you know you have tropes and you can play with them to surprise the reader. If you take a trope halfway and flip it, you can examine the trope to kind of find the real life understanding underneath it. Or you can just completely avert the trope and set up and the reader's like, oh, she's a chosen one. Wait, she's not the chosen one at all? Okay, we're in a completely different story now. And on the other hand, if you if you tie yourself up in knots trying to avoid tropes, you're going to um, get very frustrated very fast and your readers aren't going to feel as comfortable in your story. So this class is going to really look at tropes as the essence of what makes story both familiar and new to a reader and how you can improve your writing using them wisely. I can't wait. Sounds amazing. There's a life-size broody. He's, he's bigger than life-sized. He's, he's taller than my crate. He's bigger than life-sized broody. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, there's what? Um, I have a, a bigger than life size broody. There is a there, there will be a seven foot tall broody cut out. So you can kiss him and not me. This is how it works. That's perfect. <laughs> and for those of you who'd like to purchase the book, Brooding YA Hero Becoming a Main Character is available wherever books are sold, everywhere from your local indie to any online retailer you'd like. Go get it. It's wonderful. So I'd like to thank you all for being here. It, you know, it's been wonderful and we really appreciate your support. Thank you all so much. This has been a pleasure. And you can join Brooding YA Hero February 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. There will be a class all about tropes and how you can use them in your fiction, plus a lot of information for people worried about platform. And then there will be a live question and answer. Plus, in addition, you'll have a new group of friends, perhaps brooding, perhaps delightful, in our Facebook group just for the event. Check it out at manuscriptacademy.com slash broody. B-R-O-O-D-Y. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.